one of the things I've learned over the years is not that it's bad to quit. You sometimes you need to know when to quit. You are now listening to We Are Crayons, the podcast. Conversations with Trinidad and Tobago's creative thinkers and makers. We'll delve into their processes, their struggles, and what drives them to execute continually as creative individuals. I'm your host, Danu McNichol. Do enjoy. In this episode of We Are Crayons, we speak with Franca Phillip, journalist extraordinaire. If I dare say so. Mm, that word, <laughs> that extraordinary word. <laughs> Franca, welcome. Thank you for having me, Dan. No problem at all. Thank you for taking the time. I truly appreciate it. We have been trying uh, for a while, haven't we? Yes, we have <laughs> been. So I'm glad that we're able to sit and have a chat. So Franca, first and foremost, I like to understand who you were as a child and then we can get to where you are now. I grew up as an only child so that means that I had a lot of time to let my imagination wander Mm. and my childhood was I think it's a bit of a blur but I do remember spending lots of hours reading, building puzzles, doing Lego, those kind of things, not being a particularly social child. Mm. My parents um, did raise me a bit sheltered, Mm -hmm. but I don't think that has stopped me from becoming a sociable adult. Right. I was always pretty good at writing. I was always pretty good at expressive things. Mm -hmm. And I always had an eye for soft things in terms of, in terms of soft skills. I was always good at that. So that I think has informed my position now as an adult. Right. Got you. How was your time in school? Did you have an idea of, oh, I want to be this? Oh, yeah, I wanted to be everything. I wanted to be an actress at one point. There was a program called Croncourt, which came on, I think, at 5 30 in an afternoon. Right. And I found that the lawyers looked so cool in their wigs, and it was such a nice process in the court. And I figured, eh, eh, I could do that, man. Added to the fact that my dad was a court prosecutor for the police service. So I kind of had a few legal books around the house or whatever. Right. I would read them not knowing what the hell I was reading. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I think then um, after that, I think I wanted to become a dentist. Mm. I wanted to become a vet. I just had a lot of things that I wanted to do. Right. I actually didn't set out to become a journalist. Right. It was very much by accident. I was at university and I distinctly remember Camille Moreno and I were in the faculty of art. She's now the Sunday editor at Newsday. Mm. And the student advisory services had this ad up about people wanting to be in the media or having some kind of internship. So we went and we spoke to Lenny Grant, who was the editor at the time, one of the best editors I've ever worked with. And he said, okay, come on, do it. And he they trained us. And I worked with people like Judy Raymond, the late Deborah John, the late Raoul Panton, some fantastic people. and. It was really something that stuck with me. I said, hey, I like this. I like the fact that you could meet a lot of people, the fact that you got to understand how things worked in the country from a different perspective. Um, It really does serve my curiosity, journalism, it does. And that's where it began. I just decided, well, I think this is the thing that I want to do. And yeah, I can't actually see myself being anything other than a journalist. It really is a profession and a vocation. Right, right. Because I was just about to ask whether there was anything else after getting involved in in journalism journalism that you wanted to do. I came around to 
let me go back a bit. Between, somewhere in between there, I was involved in bodybuilding. Mm. I actually took part in a bodybuilding show once, something I don't think I'll ever do again. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the guy who was the president of the bodybuilding federation, his name was Alvin Harris, rest mm-hmm. his soul. He was like a second dad to me. He was, I loved him. He was an amazing man. He ran his gym. He had stories about having gone to South Africa during apartheid. He knew Arnold Schwarzenegger. He knew Lou Ferrigno. He knew all those big stars. And he was an excellent trainer. And he was great with people. Right. And I really came to admire Alwyn. And I used to call him Daddy Harry. Mm -hmm. And he introduced me to the Federation, the Bodybuilding Federation. First, it started off with me volunteering, helping them tear tickets at the the door for shows. Then it became more involved. And he asked me to join the, the actual management team of the Bodybuilding Federation. Mm-hmm. I became the technical director of the Trinidad and Tobago Bodybuilding Federation back in the late 80s to early 90s. Mm-hmm. And that was a really interesting experience. I met a whole lot of different kind of people that I would never have met had I not done it. Right. Uh, we went to all different parts of Trinidad and Tobago, promoting bodybuilding, uh, promoting competitions and all that kind of thing. And so that is probably where my whole eye for liking events came from. Right. I, I think I like events. I'm not, I'm not too sure that I um, could do it as a profession, mm-hmm. become an event coordinator, because I think the level of detail that you need these days to be an event coordinator, I don't think that I, I, I want to invest that kind of brain time. Right. So I prefer to work with people who can do that. I have great ideas, but I just love people around me who can help me execute. So there are things like that. And then I stumbled upon not really stumbled upon. I've always liked food. My mother was a very, very competent cook. Mm. And there was a show on Travel Channel when I was at university. And I, I can't remember the name of the show. I think it was Great Chefs. And every day on Great Chefs, they would go to a different chef's restaurant. It was very straightforward television, no fuss. You go, the chef prepares whatever he prepares. You learn about the ingredients and everything. And it was very straightforward. But I found it very mesmerizing and i think that also got me interested in food in a deeper way but i didn't follow that up at that point what had happened actually was during the time i was a reporter Mm -hmm. i was actually the society editor you know that whole that page where you go to these events and you take pictures and everything of course for me it had to be more than just taking pictures right i never do things basic right uh my friend my very good friend from school deborah sardina Mm -hmm had come back from the States and she was appointed the executive chef at the Hilton, the first woman to be an executive chef in, in a Hilton in this part of the world. And so there started off my following Debbie's career and learning more about food because that's, it so happened at the same time that she was there, Trinidad was competing in all these culinary championships. So I got an up close and personal look at how these things work. I met really, really interesting chefs, uh, Andre Rock, who is a vegetarian, who but could make a real wicked steak. Mm-hmm. And the late Raymond, um, Raymond Joseph, who was an excellent chef himself. Of course, Joe Brown. Right. And it was just a really fantastic world for me to explore. Mm-hmm. Shortly after I left Trinidad to go to the United Kingdom to do my master's in digital media. So I went to Sussex Uni. Sussex Uni was absolutely fantastic. I did a lot of work. I did a lot of alignment. A lot of time in the pub too, but <laughs> it was a great experience living in Brighton and on the south coast of the United Kingdom was fantastic. Uh, thereafter, I said, you know what, I might as well 
see how far I can go. I got a job at the local newspaper, which was the Brighton August. And along the way, I, I, I just kept meeting these really interesting people. And that was one of the things I think that I would have missed out on had I not gone away to study. Not a trend that doesn't have interesting people, but I'm always amazed at the UK, places like the UK and, and the States, how people can have so many interests, how they could be so, I guess, diverse in a simple way. And then I, I, I was really fascinated with the music scene there, as well as the food scene. And there was also a lot of things that I had to open my mind to, and a lot of things that really, really got me thinking about how we do media here in Trinidad. And I always had a view of what we were doing here and thinking, you know, the internet was coming in a big way. Online newspapers were growing. And at the time, people couldn't, newspapers couldn't match the growth of the internet and the lack of growth in the newspaper industry. But it was always a fascinating time. And my mother said to me, look, girl, while you're there, do as much as you can. Mm -hmm. And I saw an ad for a position at BBC Caribbean Service, at the BBC World Service, as an online producer. And I applied for it and I got it. And that started an eight-year fantastic journey mm. working at the BBC, meeting some really interesting, fantastic, imaginative, innovative people who were able to make things happen on very small budgets and also some with very big budgets. So I, I had a, an idea of how the best media company in the world worked. You got you just simply understood it was about excellence. Can you walk me through what that experience was? Meaning that you had to, as you said, open your mind to accept things that you probably didn't understand or things that were different from the way you knew them. Mm -hmm. And how were you able to make that shift? As a Trinidadian, first of all, uh, I think we are a lot better equipped to manage the world because of the way that we have a kind of multicultural society. Got you. So we negotiate very easily without even recognizing it. So getting to the UK where before you go, you hear so much about, oh, this, this place is so racist, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes people might be being racist and you mightn't even recognize it. And, you know, you go there, you have to understand that for all the anarchy that Brits love, the British society is very ordered and it's ordered in a way that Trinidad isn't. Mm. So you just have to get with the program very, very quickly. And also too, I think there were a lot more strange people. I mean, let me just say that without, it, it, I'm not trying to, to be pejorative or anything, but I encounter people with some ideas that I never thought about. And to me, they were strange. Mm -hmm. And eventually you begin to open up, not that you need to accept what they're saying, but you need to appreciate the context. And I think that is it, appreciating that context and appreciating what people go through. For, so for example, class differences, which we have here, but not the same as in the UK. Mm. So I wasn't quite sure for a while where I fit in right. because I wasn't working class in their sense and I wasn't middle class in their sense, but I had a middle class education. So it was kind of strange. It's things right. like that that you have to work out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And also, sometimes being the only black person in the room, I mean, that was a strange one for me. You have to admit it, it does take you by surprise. And you have to be patient with the way some people deal with the awkwardness of meeting a black person. Right. Not for the first time, but trying to understand. And then it was, I spoke differently to them. And 
there are all those little things that you that you get used to but yeah that's 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 just what it means yeah because as you said you were always curious about soft skills yeah that is one time where you know you had to use you just have to yeah you just have to negotiate and that is when i appreciated the value of coming from a society one where i was in the majority Mm -hmm. uh two where we just did things we just did things like other people did so we celebrated all the holidays. We had friends of different races. Mm-hmm. And it was just that. It was just that simplicity of living in Trinidad and just doing it every day. That really did help. I think my whole approach to different kinds of people, even black people in the UK, because some people, some black people have actually never met black Caribbean people. They may not have a black Caribbean background. Right. And or they might be divorced from that background. So it is it's a whole a lot of things. You just can't take things for granted. That's one of the things I learned. You just can't take things for granted. Yeah, yeah. Did you have to struggle through anything? Oh, yeah. There were times when money was short. Living in the UK is not cheap. Mm-hmm. And there were times when, because as a journalist and as an, in my kind of, when I was in Brighton particularly, um, the level that I was at wasn't, I wouldn't say it was entry level, but I wasn't making the biggest salary. Also, because it was a local newspaper, salaries in local newspapers are not great. And there are times when you want to do more than you can, and it's just expensive. So there are times when I had to make some sacrifices, but that's all part of the course, isn't it? You know, nobody just goes through life having it perfect. But yeah, there was that struggle. There's also the struggle of, of winter. I mean, Winter is a lonely time. Mm. And if you don't know how to deal with it, especially when it gets really dark, you leave home in the dark, you come back home in the dark, that could be, that could actually cause you to to get depressed. I never got depressed, but I did at times. There was one particular time, but I was under a lot of stress. And I felt as though I was just disconnecting. Mm. And that to me was a sign I needed to do something about that. Right. I can't remember what I did, but I know that I did a lot of reading around it. And I think, I think I just reframed the way that I did things. I got more active mm. and I also got more sun where right. possible. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Getting more sun helps. Yeah. 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 So at that point you were on your own. Yeah. Yeah. I lived on my own for mm-hmm. most of the time that I was in, in the UK. Uh, I had a flatmate for what, four or five years. Uh, and then actually it was about four years. And then I lived on my own. So you know, my partner who lives with me now, she's like, God, you are so, you know, you are so stubborn. You're so own way. And they, they, you know, there's that whole, first of all, I'm an only child. Secondly, I lived on my own for however many years. So my ways are like set. So it, it's hard to be kind of renegotiating that right, now, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, Franca, does your creativity come easy to you or yeah it does you, yeah um, it does i should actually say ideas come easy to me right execution sometimes is a little more difficult okay because i mean you don't always have the energy mm-hmm. uh you don't always know how to approach things and sometimes you don't always know who to ask mm. one of the things that one of my former bosses dr botiwari said to me once you must always operate a little stealth Mm-hmm. And I think that is fantastic advice because you cannot just go telling people your ideas. You never know, not just that they will steal them, but some people will pour ice water on your 
ideas because they didn't think it up or because they're jealous, you know? And sometimes it's it's interesting to know that I wonder who I could ask about this. I wonder who I could tell about this. Not necessarily because you want the approval, but because you really want a genuine exchange with somebody who would be able to to tell you, look, do this or do that or think about it this way. So I think that is probably my stumbling point. Luckily for me, um, I have a, gr- a group of friends. Three or four of my friends are also journalists. Mm-hmm. We also think not necessarily in exactly the same way, but we do have certain principles that we understand right off. So it's good to get them engaged. We talk every single day. And I've also been lucky to, over the years, pick up some really good friends mm-hmm. in many sectors. Business, I have friends who are motivational coaches, you know, and it's always good to just ask them things. Mm-hmm. And you get inspiration. Okay, so I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it that yeah. way. And of course, I have a partner who is very, very smart, very vibrant, and very, very good at executing ideas. So, so we are kind of lucky in that regard too, you know? Is there something you need to do specifically to put yourself in a creative frame of mind or anything like that? Any kind of practice or anything? Well, I pray every day. I'm Buddhist, so I, I pray every day. I pray several times during the day. Not necessarily in a formal way, but I do ask the Buddhas for clarity a lot. And I think that I just have to have the right space. And sometimes that space could be Starbucks. Sometimes that space could be Adam. Sometimes that space could be at home on the bed. Sometimes that space could be the beach. But once I'm in a place where I can think and I have pencil and paper, it's always easy. I am a pen and paper, pencil and paper person. I know I have a fantastic um, phone mm-hmm. that I can write notes <laughs> on and I do but I think that sometimes writing it out longhand ha, you know that is one of the things that I think really does help me to flow right and it has to have an eraser as right, well right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's cool is there a significant sacrifice you think you have made for your craft yes I can certainly say that the last two years mm-hmm. have been the biggest sacrifice I've made. I left a relatively comfortable job and a short salary to step into doing stuff on my own. And it is not easy. You don't, yeah, you can save a lot of money and you can say, okay, I have nine months savings. I can cushion on that. And sometimes it just doesn't work out that you have the 10th month. But guess what? At least I feel as though the universe has supported me mm-hmm. really well and I have learned a lot and I feel that my learning curve in the last two years has been so tremendous mm. that I would not have had that if I had still been in my cushy editor's job, you know? And I really appreciate that. I appreciate all that I've learned in the last two years. Right. Is growth something that you pursue i think it's it's intrinsic i think that you need to grow anybody who thinks that they can stop learning or stop dreaming they're on the wrong course life is about constant growth and it's not always comfortable so maybe that's what stops some people but growth is you cannot grow yeah for sure and what about perseverance? How do you see that? Hmm. I mean, going down for the past two years, you say Perseverance. That- we had a teacher in Prep 5 called Miss Francis. Mm-hmm. I don't like her very much. She was a bit abusive. <laughs> oh, okay. But the one thing that I learned from Miss Francis knocking into our heads is perseverance succeeds. Perseverance succeeds. And one of the things I've learned over the years is 
not that it's bad to quit. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you need to know when to quit. But I think if you have a vision, you have to follow through. You can't just stop. And that's easy for me to say when I have an idea. Mm -hmm. It's harder for me to say when I have a physical thing to do, like go to the gym or whatever. But in terms of ideas and creativity, I, I think perseverance is key. To success. What about rejection? Because I'm thinking that okay, yeah, you once, always ask people that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I'm thinking okay, so you you've been to the UK, you had to go to school there, you yeah. work there. I'm sure they would have had times you would have had oh, yeah, ideas. Rejection, rejection is a key thing. Yeah, and yeah. the nice thing is that I have friends who try to do things like music and writing, and they they have similar things about rejection. I I know I've been rejected a few times with ideas. You think you pour yourself into this idea and, oh my God, it's the best thing ever. And then somebody says, well, actually, no, it doesn't fly for us. And the first few times you hear that you could get knocked back and you could think, oh God. But really and truly, it, it does help you to try and understand better who you're pitching to, for example. I think in our field, pitching is really important. Mm-hmm. And the first few times you pitch, you may not always get through. But that is an opportunity to go back and try to understand again what was the pitch, what was required, what did you miss? Mm-hmm. And not beat yourself up about it, but just learn to do it better the next time. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's an ongoing thing. You know, even in, in Trinidad, for example, you send a request for money, you ask somebody, well, okay, you're doing this project and you think that your CSR thing would line up with our endeavor, and they tell you no. And you keep thinking, well, you can spend money on X, you can spend money on Y. But it is really about understanding how to shop and probably shop and what your, what your request is. And maybe in your mind, when you're asking for it, have you asked, have you really asked for it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So within getting those rejections, did you, or have you experienced that having an effect on how you view your own talent? No, I don't. I don't often see rejection as, I don't take it personally. Mm-hmm. Different people, different companies, different, some things just aren't right for the time. Right. And I don't take it as any reflection on my own talent. I am actually quite secure in my talent. Mm-hmm. At my age, if you're not secure in your talent, then you have a problem. You mentioned a few pieces of advice you would have received or picked up from, you know, school or whatever. Is there any one or two things that you use daily to kind of motivate yourself or keep you going forward? I think, I think mainly it's about not quitting. Mm -hmm. And it's also about having a clear view of what you want. I tend to, I think things, sometimes I overthink things. Mm -hmm. And that is another thing that can stop people being creative. But I do a lot of reading and I do a lot of listening to podcasts about people who have succeeded and people who have failed and how they use that. And I think more than anything else, the lessons you you learn from listening to those people who you would probably look up to or who you would probably want to work with. Mm-hmm. So for example, this is so strange. There's this radio producer called Alex Bloomberg mm-hmm. and he is the CEO of Gimlet Media. Mm-hmm. Gimlet Media is a podcasting company They were just bought by Spotify. Mm. When I started out wanting to do my own stuff, I listened to a podcast he did called Startup, Mm -hmm. which was actually about him starting Gimlet. And a lot of the things that Alex said seemed to chime with my view of the world. And recently, like think about two days ago, 
I listened to the last season of Startup, which was based on the Spotify acquisition. Spotify bought them. And he made some points that it was so weird. It was like, I had been thinking about similar things. Mm. You know, where do you go next? How do you make your business so that you can get more done? How do you dream harder? And it was such a, an interesting listen because he was having a real struggle with his CFO. Because you know you're always, as a creative, you always need that person to tell you, hey, mm-hmm. this is about money here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was a point where he and Matt, Matt Lieber, who is his co-founder, Matt said to him, listen, this is not an effing feelings factory. This is a business. Mm-hmm. And I reflected on how much I'd heard that over the years from companies where the bottom line matters probably more than the creativity. Mm-hmm. And it just set me thinking about how do you balance mm that desire to do the best, most creative, most innovative thing Mm -hmm. against the need to make money. Mm -hmm. And it's things like that that motivate me. Mm. Things like that. Things like hearing, there's a guy called Ari Schweinsteig. He owns a company called Zingermans. And his whole approach on visioning and on business has been really revelatory for me. He's somebody who could be a billionaire, but he's not interested because... He just wants to do good things. And I found that particularly comforting to know that there were businessmen out there who had the opportunity to make billions and just wanted to, to, to be good, good right. you know, and make people good. So it's things like that rather than a mantra mm-hmm. that, that motivate me. Got you. So let's talk about your podcast. Yes, my podcast, which we haven't published an episode for a while. And I'll tell you why. Um, This year, 2019, has been a whirlwind for us. 2019 started out with us doing podcasts. And last year, we had tendered for Carrie Fester to do the online radio part of Carrie Fester. And that soon took over our year because Ardeen Suju, uh, my partner, and I wanted to do something so spectacular that people would not forget that it happened. And we succeeded largely. Congrats. Uh, Thank you. And what it did was that we we spent the entire of August just doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, We debriefed. And what I've been doing is I've been cutting 90 hours of content down to manageable bits, which we want to rebroadcast later on in the year, around December, and even up to early January, as we try to get back onto the festival. It was called Festival Radio. Right. Carnival is a festival, so of course we need to do something for Carnival. And so, for me, it has made me wonder about the model. Do I want to do a podcast? Mm -hmm. I know I want to do a lot of audio production, but do I want to stick to that kind of workflow? What do I want to do? And so, it has me thinking, do I want to do talk about us the podcast or talk about us the radio and right now Arin and i are at that stage where we we know we have something that we could work with right and we're just making up our minds about how we go forward because one of the things that people said to us during and after carry festa was that this is something that people need mm-hmm. what we try to do was we try to produce and not being snobbish but it's intelligent radio luckily because we had so many people from across the region here we were able to get some of the finest creative minds people who are doing interesting things on and people like that that's why so many people only listen to bbc world service because mm-hmm. of that level of intelligence but it's also to make that accessible so that other people will be inspired 
inspired and not feel intimidated by it. And that's what we want to do. And I think that's what we achieve with Festival Radio. And we want to do that on an ongoing basis. But we have to be to be really sure because, of course, it will take a level of investment. We're going to approach a couple of people to support us. And yeah, we just have to be really clear about what we want to do. I'm glad that you're doing a podcast. I'm glad that we have several other people like Kevin Valley, you know, who does Caribbean Power Lunch. I, I think that these things are so good because what we are doing is going at different niches and we're putting people out there and putting issues out there that need to be heard Mm -hmm. that necessarily mainstream media can't or won't cover right agreed and i think that's fantastic yeah and also too, like my good friend Laura Dorich and Nigel Campbell, they do a really important podcast about the music industry Mm. in the region it's called Caribbean Music Matters and for a country that produces so much music across a season, more or less, you know, there's very little that is known about the music. It's still, it's still like a secret order for some people. Soca artists, a lot of people come into the industry and they don't quite know how to navigate the mm-hmm. industry. And there's so many elements in the music industry. I think that they're doing a fantastic job. And it's more like that we need. Yeah. yeah and I think also too, we need some fun podcasts. We need, we need people who can do proper comedy uh, one of the things that we did for Festival Radio was we had a great exchange with the BBC. We worked with a company called Spark Lab Productions in Manchester in the UK. And we got the BBC to commission three radio dramas, right. which is very unusual for them to commission out of the UK. And those three radio dramas by Alicia Bartels, Kyle Hernandez and Darren Sandy, they have people thinking and people want that kind of thing. I think we need stuff like that. It will really help us as a nation to broaden our minds, you know. Yeah, for sure. So I know you're also a foodie. I am a huge foodie. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that for a little bit. I'm going to shamelessly plug my big project, which mm-hmm. is called Gotoba. Gotoba is one of those things that has to happen because it shines light on a local industry mm-hmm. that needs a boost. And that is the goat farming sector. Trinidad imports 90% of its goats. Oh, really? I didn't know that. No, most people thought that it was, you see, and so many goats, and yeah. you think, and now we have to what? No, we import most of our goats from Australia. Wow. And I think the key is to get people to eat goat differently, to support local industry, and to get the farmers understanding that we have an internal market here that we can service in a different way and what we did we launched it and we said okay we're going for this we brought down james wetlow who is the kind of goat expert from the uk he's a chef and he's written the definitive book on cooking and eating goat called goat (laughs) it started off there with the activities for this year made us the ninth country in the world to join the global goatober movement Mm -hmm. and we had him back in october with another chef called james cochran who has st vincent heritage so he was happy to be here but the point is that we also got 10 restaurants involved in putting goat on their menu Mm. and a lot of people did not realize that you can do in so many ways Mm -hmm. and i think the response from the public and the response from the restaurants shows that yes there is the makings of a good internal market and if we through our efforts and through our events can force people to understand hey this is yours support local once people start seeing more goat on the menus Mm-hmm. I think that the market will begin to grow. And so we've, we're working with the Goat and Sheep Society. And one of the things we're doing is we are sending a farmer on an internship to the UK, which is being arranged by James. We are very committed to growing a sector, to giving people a little something a little different, mm-hmm. you know, and having fun at the same time. 
I also contribute where I can to different food events and people call me and ask me stuff. I have a good relationship with a few chefs and I want to do more about that and more about bringing diaspora chefs to Trinidad to cook with our chefs to, to have fun, you know? So that's next on the agenda. Food is always... Food is life. Yeah, food is always <laughs> welcome. <laughs> so what else that we didn't talk about, Franca? You have open mic. I write for Caribbean Beat magazine, and that's something I'm really proud of. I think Caribbean Beat is one of the best in-flight magazines in the world. It reaches a level that really and truly a lot of magazines don't. And Nicholas Lachlan team are doing a really good job. I'm very optimistic about the future. I look forward to the future in terms of projects, in terms of, of doing interesting things, having fun while we're working in terms of the audio space. I really look forward to contributing something really substantial to the media space. I think at the end of the day, when I look back on my career, I, I really wanted to know that I contributed, people benefited. That's what I want. Okay. Where can people get a little more of you? They can get more of me at trinigoodmedia.com. They can get more of us on Facebook. Uh, they can get more of me, me, without any filters. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly on Twitter. My handle is trinifood. I'm on Instagram at real underscore trinifood. That's okay. where you can get me. All right. So that's it, people. That's Franca. And I just want to say thank you very much for making the time and thank sharing you. your thoughts with us. Um, again, fascinating conversation for me. I totally enjoyed it. I enjoyed it too. And I, I, I really like what you're doing. So yeah, anytime, anytime you need me, not necessarily in front of the mic, right. but anytime you need me, just call. I hear you. I hear you. Thank you very much. I'm Franca Philip. In a big box of crayons, I'd be titillating terracotta. Please share this episode with someone who would find it valuable. And if you haven't yet, subscribe to the show now on Apple Podcasts to get new episodes as they become available. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. It will help us reach other listeners just like you. Find additional content on abigboxofcrayons.com. Follow us on Instagram at abigboxofcrayons. The We Are Crayons podcast is a production of A Big Box of Crayons. All rights reserved. Until next time, friends, remember... We are all the same in the fact that we'll never be the same. Stay colorful and thank you for listening.